Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Did you see that uh, tweet about the Beatles logo? The yep. one started by a guy called Eddie Robson. Yep. Fantastic story. You know, uh, basically, they were the first group, it appears, possibly, we shall discuss this, to have a logo in the way that the Beatles were first pretty much doing everything. Epstein and Ringo had gone to Shaftesbury Avenue in 1963 to get him a new drum kit. And he'd seen this Ludwig kit, which was 238 quid. But Epstein, kind of being Epstein and thinking, well, this is the Beatles and being a wheeler dealer uh, and a horse trader, said he wasn't going to pay for it. So uh, wanted it for free. And the shop said, OK, you can have it free, but you've got to paint the Ludwig, have the Ludwig logo painted on the on the bass drum. And then they agreed that they had the Beatles logo put on there too, or the Beatles name. And the guy who did it for five pounds invented effectively the Beatles logo. You know, the word with the word beat with the big T. The big T. And that was the that was the only time you ever saw it. She was just on their on their um on the drum kit. On I mean, the drum kit. But none of the, none of those albums ever no. had the logo on it. No, it's you see, I, I don't if you'd said to them at the time. Do you, do you have a logo? I think they would have said no. They, yeah, exactly. they just wouldn't have thought of it. At all. That's the interesting thing. That there yeah. was a time when it wasn't thought of at all. And actually, the, the only two instances in which your attention is drawn to that logo is in its place on the, on the drum head, um, which is at the beginning of both Let It Be, the original film, which starts with a shot of a close-up of the yeah. drum, uh, and then it was revealed to me Mal Evans carrying it into the studio. And it's also the opening shot of Get Back all those years later. That's right. So it, it only really exists in those places. Now, the other interesting thing is that um, is that when uh, words were, were written on, on drums, they tended to be the name of the, of the drummer yeah, like rather Dave than yeah, the, the group. Right. The group. Ginger because Baker. That's right, and yeah. That was a jazz tradition, wasn't it? Yeah, it you was. know, the Buddy Rich or whatever. Yeah, you are watching Buddy Rich with a band. Uh, you know, that, that that's him. Please admire him. You know, so yeah. it was kind of odd, half-hearted thing for the Beatles to do this. And it wasn't actually used on any of their records until... 
the Past Masters series, those two, they were both CDs, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, appeared in uh, whenever that would be, the, the end of the 80s or something. You know, well, they're, they they're didn't two singles. It. Apple Corps didn't trademark it till the early, very early 90s, I think. Oh, there you so go. so that, that's how much they cared about the idea of a Beatles logo. But then there was, you know, the discussion ensued online. You know, I, well, I was asking, were there any groups before the Beatles who had a logo? And people were saying, well, were there any groups before the Beatles? Which is an interesting point, you know. But And I went looking and the shadows never had never had one as far as i could see yeah somebody suggested to me that the ventures had had one the ventures mean american instrumental group of the very early 60s they were a very big deal and um and eventually appeared to develop a a thing that looked like a motor looked like a motor car logo with a with a big v obviously yeah but i think they did that rather later the earliest example I could find, I'm quite, and, and I'd be interested to see if anybody can come up with anything that challenges this or that predates this. The first album by The Yardbirds, which is Five Live Yardbirds, which comes out in 1963, has their name rendered as a logo. It does. As it, it looks like kind of looks like crow's feet, doesn't it? It's a very That's self-conscious. The story thing. with that was a guy called is Hamish it, Grimes. It's a really interesting story, yeah. this is. There's a guy called Hamish Grimes who worked with George Ogamelski, who was the original Yardbirds manager and was a bit of a scenester, and is actually the person who can be heard introducing them on Five Live Yardbirds, you know, member name by name, you know, he's the guy who says on lead guitar, Eric Slowhand yeah, Clapton, right. yeah, yeah. which was the first time that that had gone into the public domain and so forth. Uh, and that is Hamish Grimes. Hamish Grimes was also the person who invented that kind of font for a way of doing the Yardbirds logo. And it was used on most of their LPs. They use certainly, yeah. certainly, well, certainly the American ones. So that, you know, the, odd, the odd changes in the UK. Roger the Engineer doesn't have it on in the UK. But anyway, most of them, and certainly most of them in America, have that logo. So I'm saying that's the earliest rock band logo, unless anybody can tell me different. But it, that was, and the other, the other interesting tangent, Amish Grimes. Is a person who ought to have an entire an entire documentary made about him, because the other the other thing that um, in 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 you know rootling around trying to find out about Hamish Grimes, uh, I never realised this that the famous Clapton is God graffiti you know that that appeared up allegedly Clapton thinks it was him Clapton thinks right. it was Hamish Grimes. And that would make complete sense, you know, because he clearly was the kind of person who did something like that. Yeah. And so he he rendered, you know, the Clapton is God on some corrugated iron fence and then went and photographed it and said, look, oh, there it is. It's out there in the public domain. <laughs> and ever since then, people have been quoting that, that line ever since. And all it was was a very, it was Banksy. In 1963, genius a, piece of, uh, of original promotion. Absolute genius. So that's Hamish, that Hamish Grimes. He's no longer with us, sadly. But um, I think he was the he was the inventor of that kind of thing. But the other person who played a huge part in all this is Jack Holtzman of Electra Records, yeah. a man who started Electra Records. 
Jack Holtzman is still with us, as far as I know. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the great, um, you know, patron of kind of folk rock and, you know, the man who started out doing Judy Collins and Tom Paxton and so forth. And then eventually, you know, moved to the West Coast and it was love and the doors and all that kind of thing. He was the person who very early on, and I think the groups who are most obviously beneficiaries or victims of this treatment, victims. depending on how you want to look at it, were the love and the, and the doors, yeah. both of whom are still represented all those years later by those really distinctive logos. And he was the guy who said to the company's art director, Bill Harvey, who was a hugely important person in Electra, that he wanted every group to have a logo. Where would he have got that? I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Well, because Bill Harvey that was... Label when he was at college, didn't he? Or well, like... yeah, 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 Jack Holtzman, fascinating character. I interviewed him once on, and we did a podcast interview with him years ago. Really interesting guy. And and he's a person who's um, rightly celebrated for his, you know, his knack with the musicians and, and being associated with all kinds of really interesting music that proved to be commercially successful but i think the thing that he really deserves celebrating for is he invented rock marketing he yeah. really did the whole idea those billboard the, campaigns that he did for the, the doors the, yeah but but more than that it was just the whole the whole um the way of packaging an album of making an, an lp record seem more attractive and more valuable than it probably was by the way it was done. He yeah. did all that. He was a person that said, I want it to look like this. And the way it looks is going to be pretty much as important as the way it sounds. So he was the person to do this. And, but he also realized that I, I never, I was looking at Mick Houghton's really good book about, um, about Electra becoming Electra. And uh, I was reminded that one of the reasons he did this is that. It would uh, the logo would remain the property of the record company, so they and couldn't really leave the label. They couldn't leave the label because <laughs> they did. They would have no logo. It's because, brilliant, wasn't it? But it just shows you how the name, a the name, and b the rendition of the name are hugely important, hugely important things, you know. So he did it enormously successfully with Love and the Doors. But even if you look at a load of other acts, I mean, there's a group called Clear Light on um, on Electra. They had a logo, you know. Clearly, Bill Harvey was set to work on, on every one of these as they came along. And so, and then later on, it got taken up by, well, I don't know, you know, Led Zeppelin and people like that. You know, they. But not till their fourth thought was it Houses of the Holy was the first time they had a logo, I think. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so it wasn't that quick, actually. No. Um, and of course, nowadays, no group would dream of going out undressed without a logo. I know, you know? if you just Google something like blur albums, uh, they all come up. You see all the sleeves because every single one of those has got the logo on it. Yeah, so it's yeah. an automatic thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just branding thinking, isn't it? There are you certain know? logos that that I, I can't, I can't visualize that name without seeing it as the logo. Best example, I think, is Motorhead. Motorhead's yes. logo. You just in your head, you can just see that written the way the logo is with the umlaut and everything. Yeah, yeah. There are certain ones that are absolutely Van Halen. Van Halen, Kiss, another one, I think. Yes, Kiss, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they're probably... Um, Ramones, you know, possibly. They're probably kids who can draw that stuff on school exercise books. Although, interestingly enough, 
<laughs> I had a strange memory yesterday while I'm thinking about all this stuff. I used to, I never had a group, but I used to fantasize about having a group when I was like 13. Did you have old. a name for them? I had a name. Oh, do, do I know this? I don't know if I do. Come on. It's terrible. Like, David Hemmerle <laughs> Has he got your name in it? No. No. <laughs> this is brilliant. I want to know. Come on. Tell me the name of the group and I'll be able to work out presumably what year. No, 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 no. Well, I, I think I've told Um No, and I used to, used to just improvise this on school exercise books, you know, during particularly boring geography lessons, you know. And, uh, and they were called the Rapids. The Rapids. <laughs> the Rapids. <laughs> And and I used to and somehow I drew that so that it kind of looked like the rapids as in as in you know running water That's you fantastic. know fantastic <laughs> rapids and so without knowing it in 1963 or something I, was gonna say, was I invented the rock logo I did the <laughs> I invented the rock logo if only I'd invented the band you know. <laughs> That is fantastic. The <laughs> rapids. You can date that precisely, kind of mental group. Did you have a little in your head? Did you have a little dance routine you used to do? <laughs> I'm sure you did. That's fantastic. So anyway, I'm saying that the Yardbirds pioneered the uh, the rock band logo. And if you've got uh, an earlier example, we want to hear about it. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So great news! The whole of Frasier is available on on whatever the Channel Four app is called, More Four, is it or whatever. Anyway, it's and all you've there. watched the whole thing. I haven't <laughs> rewatched. I've, I've I've started at the beginning and I worked my way through it, and of course enjoying it greatly. Um, the the best episode I have to say so far, and I've probably watched about three series, is the one where. <laughs> Niles hires what can only be described as a kind of a thug called Jerome Belasco to sort out his wife to sort out his wife's parking ticket. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then they slowly realize they're in the debt of this rather sinister, genuinely sinister kind of yeah. Sopranos character. <coughs> that, that's been the best one so far. I'm very much looking forward to my my other favourites, which uh, always used to be the one with the two of them. And I think it just it just features Fraser and Niles, where they're planning a dinner party, which never actually happens. Do you remember this? I mean, the I do. Yeah, I do. Go on. And yeah. they're they're allowed to veto each other's choices of uh, of potential guests, you know, by blackballing them and so forth. Yeah. And then trying to get the right caterer, trying to get the right evening, and all these kind of things. It's just absolutely brilliantly done. I mean, the thing the thing that strikes me about Frasier is just so much how how it so much resembles a kind of French farce, you know. A kind of 19th oh, century. Do you remember it's all entrances and exits and people yeah, yeah. disappearing in the disappearing, in, hiding in the, in the kitchen, kitchen or whatever. Like Absolutely, that. it's just brilliantly. Do you remember done. the one where Niles? I think uh, it lasts about five or six minutes where he's ironing a shirt and manages to set the flat on <laughs> yes, fire. He does. But he finishes that with him spraying the flat with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> this is amazing piece of physical comedy. Absolutely, one where he and his he and his dad Martin pretend to be a gay couple. I can't remember. No. Do you remember that one where I think they're trying to get rid of some suit? Go to the opera, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, that's one to come. The other one is the one where they have to pretend that, uh, 
yeah, Fraser's going out with a girl whose mother arrives, and uh, and and the, and, the, and she's Jewish, and so she would prefer it if he pretended that he was Jewish. And so he then has to get Marty to pretend that he's Jewish. He says, how do I do that? It's just turn every statement into a question. Very good. <laughs> Whatever anybody says to you, you just repeat it with a question mark at the end. Oh, God, it's, it's, it's so, so good. Uh, nearly every sitcom is based on one simple foundation, isn't it? And in the case of Frasier, I think it's no more complicated that, that, that the fact that, that, that Niles and Frasier are these kind of pretentious arses, aren't they? <laughs> and that the other four main characters are really down-to-earth. Oh, even absolutely. And Ros and Daphne and Bulldog are all these really down-to-earth, ordinary, socially integratable, functioning human beings. <laughs> all that humour comes from the clash between the two. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Anyway, the 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 odd little um, strange um, experience I've had while watching it, because I'm watching it on the, on the app. Yeah, yeah. It serves you the same ads all the time. <laughs> so I've seen certain ads hundreds and hundreds of times. And one of them is the trail for the new movie, Licorice Pizza. Have you seen this? This trail? No. And, uh, and it's just very quick cut kind of romance type, you know, um, interactions. But the piece of music used for it is David Bowie's Life on Mars. And because it's it's abbreviated even more in the trail, all you really hear of it is just the opening piano chord of Rick Wakeman's. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then you hear bits of the song, and you sit and watch the trail, and you think, this trail would not exist without that tune. It just simply doesn't work without that tune and it makes it reminds you you know i think this week again the catalogue of david bowie wasn't it was was uh, you know sold to investors or or to whoever for a you know a, a premium as we've remarked on with various other acts and this was a reminder about why people do it because life on mars which was never, was it ever really a huge hit? I think maybe it was once or whatever. It wasn't the first time it came out. But the point is that the Life on Mars, this, this, this song from a long, long time ago, just has this, this power to kind of evoke something which makes it really powerful when used in a film in, 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 in the 21st century, all these years later. And it's just an it's just an amazing reflection on the power of old pop music to do that, and that um, that nothing new does that to anything like that. Uh, you know that that level of intensity. It could also have that depth of emotional connection. Could it? it doesn't. It also makes you think once again. How much did Rick Wakeman get paid for? That? Yeah, session rate. It wasn't enough. Twenty five quid or something. You know, I mean, God's sake, I mean, this applies to everybody, but it particularly applies to David Bowie, doesn't it? Go back through the career, you know, Rick Wakeman, Mick Ronson. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Niall Rogers, you know, Robert Fripp, all these absolutely key collaborators, you know, who, who provided the musical fingerprint of loads and loads of these, uh, loads and loads of these tunes and, uh, and probably don't participate <laughs> In royalties, or, or you know, the, or the massive, you know, obviously they don't pay, they don't participate in the payday of of selling on a catalogue, you know, to to the publisher or whatever. Base all those, part, those yeah, part on Walk on the Wild Side. That was the the Herbie Flowers. That was the big court case, wasn't it? Because he was saying this is the signature of this song. This made this song. I don't know. Did he? Even, I don't. Did, did he actually get anywhere with that? It was Robert. a cookout. I can't remember what the result. Was I don't. I don't know. Because Robert Fripp. I know there was some kind of action recently over a Robert Fripp on Heroes, wasn't there? Yeah. Because you know they they will say without Robert Fripp on Heroes it barely exists at all, you know. And um, so who was the jazz piano player that Bowie got him? Was it Mike Garson? Was Mike Garson? Yeah, because yeah, there was the documentary last night, being it being his birthday, Bowie's birthday, on the BBC, in which you got an idea of just how significant his playing was. It was amazing, completely altered and lifted and changed those those songs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think hugely reliant on on these kind of musicians all the way all the way through, as are as are loads of successful musicians, you know. Um, but but Rick Wayman, if he's caught the trail for licorice pizza as many times as I have, he'll think these guys are the my. I recommend you go and see the trail. It's absolutely astonishing. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Well, we've both been following the story that um, various British ministers have uh, uh, backed demands for the national anthem to be played uh, at the end of, of BBC, it being the Jubilee year, etc. Queen's Jubilee year, at the end of BBC uh, television broadcasting. Actually, obviously, it is played on Radio 4 every night, you know. Yeah. And various people have said... Is it really? Yeah, oh, yeah, it is, yeah. Radio wow. 4 still play it. Why, every night? I didn't I know so, that. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh, go on. And uh, various people, just Danny Baker tweeted a very funny thing. He thinks, he thinks it should be Soul Bossing Over by Quincy Jones, which of course is the music that you can immediately visualize uh, Austin Powers leaping about, uh, <laughs> Bobby's on bicycles, <laughs> red pillar boxes and stuff. You know. But it did make me think that that there should be another, a more contemporary British national anthem rather than the national anthem. And uh, and I, I, I thought, I, I think 
uh, I was Kaiser Bill's bat, whip, Batman. Was I, I was Kaiser. First of all, you know, I have always uh, a, um, responded favorably to Billy Connolly's suggestion many years ago. That the that the British national anthem was a bit of a drag. It was just yeah, it slow. It, whereas <laughs> most most anthems are not slow. Uh, and his suggestion was that the theme for the archers ought to be the UK national anthem, which I always think there's a lot to be said for that. You yeah. know, it's a damn good tune. It's uh, you know, it's it's peppy, <laughs> you know, makes you feel better. But anyway, go on. I was I, I think, I've got a few. I got you. I think at the sign of the swinging symbol. By Brian Fay and his orchestra. Do you remember that's Pick of the Pops? Yeah, okay. That's that's Walk Don't Run, the the John Barry version. It it would be fantastic, I think. John Barry seven. Man of Mystery by the Shadows. I I, I tell you what would be good, then this is none more British, is Cry for a Shadow by the Beatles. Do you remember that instrumental they recorded? The only John Lennon, George Harrison comedy. San Jose, obviously, by Chicken Shack. And I think Jazz, Delicious, Hot, Disgusting, Cold by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Man would be brilliant. Well, I, I have the answer. I have the answer to, to what should be the, uh, the new UK, you know, kind of tune to go to sleep to in the evening because it, it's British. It's a lovely tune. It, it defies the passing of the years. It is. The Shadows and Wonderful Land. Oh, right. I know it. Yes. Wouldn't that be lovely? That would be really good. It's a lovely tune to drift off to sleep to. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's British, for God's sake. It's British. As is surely uh, Telstar by the Tornado. Telstar by the That's Tornado. That's another possibility. Yeah, yeah. Chiquita by the Dave Clark Five. That's a good the, the And the main theme from Get Carter by Roy Budd. Uh, yep. The piano theme there. Uh, there's also um, a, there's a very good John Barry tune from um, from his record String Beat, <laughs> which he made in 1962, or whatever, um, called "There's Life in the Old Boy Yet." Uh, that's a that's a good tune. Yeah. So there's there's plenty there, but I'm I'm sure you know people have got other suggestions. We Nut uh, Locker, people under the stingers. People the stingers. Yes, but that's you know that was it was Tchaikovsky via America, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not British enough. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not <laughs> British at all. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink, and it's like being in the pub. Any other business? And we're joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. Hello. Keith Adsley wants to know, um, chaps, do we have a go-to track to test new headphones? turntables or other new sound equipment and oh, was it keith has suggested jack of speed he suggested jack of speed that's speed. a genius suggestion do you know that track i know it but From i haven't two against nature album yeah. by steely dan it's fantastic the brass every the separation you can hear every instrument so clearly it's just a terrific piece of production that's a good well, one. I, the one i was told by somebody years ago in a hi-fi shop and i always thought it was a really good idea uh, is Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. Yes. Because you know it so well. Um, but it's also recorded in quite an old-fashioned way, you know. So you, 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 there's a drama about it. There's a separation there about it. And if you hear it clear enough, you can hear the fact it's got a string bass and an electric bass. And that's why, that's why Herbie Flowers got paid twice. 
30, he got 230 pounds, didn't he? For two in two in two thirty pounds. Wow. <laughs> two thirty yeah. pounds. Lucky uh, boy. Yes. Compared to whereas Lou Reed got oh 30 million pounds from <laughs> apparently <laughs> um, a lot on. of li- live sound engineers use um st- what Steely Dan is it? Um it's one of the latest Steely Dan albums. Night uh well, that's probably what we were talking about. <laughs> against nature? No. It might. No, it wasn't that one. But anyway, they they use a, a specific Steely Dan album because it, apparently it's mastered so perfectly. <laughs> it's it's sonically, according to the, the the science of sonics, the most perfect record you could possibly hope for to to test the balance of speakers. The science um, of sonics. That's the science a, of sonics. Yeah. That's a Steely Dan album still waiting to come out. <laughs> <It> is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gareth wants to he wants. Uh, Remarks upon the role of the sampler album in making the unsuccessful well-known. Case in point, Nick Drake sold very few albums, but everyone knew who he was, and a couple of his songs, if they were on the among, among the many, he bought island samplers that charted, which is fair. It's absolutely true. You know, That's where the, I discovered Nick Drake. Absolutely. And King Crimson. I'd never heard of them. Yeah, yeah. And and going and, and outside Ireland, going to CBS, um, everybody in the early 70s new uh, Statesboro Blues by Taj Mahal. Yeah. And and the and they hadn't nobody had a Taj Mahal record, but they'd all got the Rock Machine Turns You On or whichever whichever those records were uh, uh, that was on. He also says supplementary question, what about the role played by the cover of You Can All Join In in setting sartorial standards for a generation <laughs> of young men? And I happen to have it in front of me. And, you know, if you're watching this, if you're, you know, if you're a patron supporter, you'd be watching this, wouldn't you, Alex? You would indeed. Uh, And you'd be able to see the fact that I'm holding up the copy of You Can All Join In. And we all look that. We all have one of those ex-Army greatcoats. I'm sorry. (laughs) And the bobble hats. This picture taken in the Hyde Park um, in the morning after a kind of all-night island do just near Hyde Park. And so that, that was the only chance to get all these people together after they just returned from down the M1 from playing Mothers in Birmingham. Or and half the people in the picture don't appear on the cover because, of course, they, the photographer couldn't kind of arrange it into a kind of the right shape, could he? There's a load of people missing. I think, it, I think it might have been Aubrey Powell who took this picture. I, I think it might be. No, it's really unarranged. I mean, the only woman... Is she the only woman? Yeah, Sandy Denny. He's, he's almost edged out of the frame <laughs> entirely there, over uh, over on the right. And you you, know, you, can, you can just about see members of Jethro Tull gurning at the back of there, you know. But yes, it was a hugely influential thing in in the most prominent the- person on that sleeve is somebody who didn't appear on the record. Am I right? Ian yeah. Anderson. Ian Anderson. Is the he guy the, with the glasses. The lanky guy he, with the glasses. Yes. He was supposed to be on it, wasn't he? And yeah. there wasn't. And he wasn't because Ian Anderson just wrote us. So we've got two Ian Andersons on Island Records. And you... And that was, it was kind of barred, wasn't it? They decided they wouldn't put the Ian Anderson. But Ian Anderson was the guy who ended up running Folk Roots he magazine, wasn't he? You yeah, know, yeah. He probably still does it to, the, to this yeah. day. Um, David Cowan has a very uh, interesting point. Um during the now infamous hidden mic in the cafe sequence in, in Get Back, we had two men in their 20s, working class men at that. I'm not sure about that, but anyway, having quite a long conversation and not using the F word once. Would this have been normal for 1969? Or do you think they would have been aware of the microphone? 
I think it would have been more normal than, than you probably think, actually. People did not swear as freely in 1969 as they subsequently did. Do you, um, do you agree with that, Mark? Completely. Uh, and also, just going back to the microphone, the, it, the, clearly they didn't know the microphone was there or they wouldn't have had that conversation in the first place. No. I, I mean, it just... No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's... I, I'm not sure if people don't swear more now, actually. Oh, they do. I really they do. do. Because it's become completely... You know, you watch the Graham Norton show or something and someone said fuck within two seconds of the thing starting. So it's completely part of uh, common parlance. Well, it's more, it's a performance now, I think, yeah. swearing. Whereas my, my memory of swearing when I was a kind of a teenager was that if you, if you got a holiday job or whatever, you worked on, on the Christmas post or, you know, I worked in a, in a kind of packing department of a mail order business when I was about 17 or whatever. And you were suddenly surrounded by people who really did swear all the time. And you're, it, it, you're aware of that was different from your normal life. It wouldn't have been like that at school. Not that people didn't swear at school, but they didn't swear habitually in the same way. And um, whereas now you get the thing that didn't happen then and happens now is really educated people swear all the time. Yeah. Because they're, they're trying to make themselves appear not to be too different from other people. You know what I mean? It's but also makes you connectors. Swearing is a lot more prevalent in music, isn't it? Actually, the other day I was watching something on Instagram and uh, Olivia Rodrigo, the cutesy 18-year-old pop star at the moment, dropped an F-bomb in her latest hit. You know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's that's the kind of world we live in. Which then, of course, it will be, the F-bomb will be on the record because the, because the weird thing is if it's played on Radio 1, it won't be there, will it? Yeah. There'll be that, there'll be that the strange... Magical edit. Out. <laughs> You know, exactly. which I always think makes listening to Radio One utterly intolerable because half of the music's gone. <laughs> well, they've taken out. Yeah, yeah, you think, well, yeah. why put it in in the first place if you're going to have to take it out? You know, the interesting debate. Andy Phoenix says, "Are CDs the new vinyl? How long before the music industry that starts? can't be possible? <laughs> the, magic of the, of the magic of the album and the gatefold sleeve cannot be replicated by some creaky little." plastic device with a broken hinge and a little booklet that gets worn away when you stick it in behind those lugs. But actually, <laughs> I don't know. Does that, is it, is it the same? No, it's never going to, it's never going to be a romantic item. Undoubtedly. It's a functional item, isn't it? It's a functional to, yeah. item and there is a place for it as a functional item. Yeah. I do think it will re return as a functional item. Go I on. wandered into HMB in swinging Redditch. Uh, the other day, and <laughs> I tell you, like there was there was as much vinyl, if not more, than there were CDs in the. Store. Oh, there would be. There oh, would be. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, do you know the reason for that? The reason for that is you charge twenty five quid for the for them. You know, so yeah. they, it's worth you know it's worthwhile them um, them uh, you know and displaying them and so forth. But I do think I do think CD will come back because I think there has to be a basic physical carrier for those who like a basic physical carrier. And it's the least destructible of those physical carriers. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't take up much space. Doesn't take up a huge amount of space, you know? Uh, and in the end, if you really like something, you, you want something that you hold in your hand, you know, in the end. 
Uh, Richard Oswald says, albums and books that you've bought by accident, forgetting you already have a copy. (laughs) (laughs) He said he did this the other day with one of my books. Oh, that's nice. Richard, which I would like to heartily applaud this practice. I think more more people people who think they've got one of my books should go out and buy another one just in case they haven't, you know. But isn't that just the emotional response like Danny Kelly with his 17 copies of Marquee Moon by television? It's just that emotional response of seeing the thing in the shop and just you'll be just programmed you're hardwired to buy it aren't you, you just well, think, the great the great thing about danny buying his copies of uh marquee moon was that he bought them during the heyday of cd when people were just letting go of their vinyl copies you know see every cha- charity shop he went in there would be vinyl copies of marquee moon as far as the eye could see and of course now <laughs> it would be entirely the other way around wouldn't it yeah you probably find you can buy CD copies of that in every charity shop. Bottle. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to The Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. At this point, it's a good idea to remind those who may not be aware of the significant advantages that will accrue were you to become a Patreon supporter. A word in your ear. What are those many advantages, Alex? Over to you. Well, first of all, you get the uh, immense privilege of being able to join our weekly Friday night quiz. Friday night quiz. Yeah, Unmissable. We, we, absolutely. It takes about 20 minutes. It uh, starts every Friday evening uh, at, at six o'clock. An increasing prize number, is offered. An increasing number of people gather, possibly with a, with a refreshing drink, surrounded by their loved ones, and attempt to answer impossible questions about popular music. But somebody does answer them. But anyway, uh, so that's one thing. Friday night quiz. What else have we got, Alex? You get access to a myriad of content before the rest of the world, Absolutely. such as this very podcast. This very podcast, and you also get it in vision, in full vision, the full exper- full multi sensory experience. Absolutely. Um, the classic podcast series. Um, yes, old well. podcasts you have known and loved, um, and uh, also if you're in a certain tier you get the rare privilege on your birthday of having me and Mark Allen shin down your digital drain pipe (laughs) to conduct a special word in your attic in your personal attic. Okay. And uh, show off your fabulous record collection. Show off your fabulous record. And and coming up soon, Down the Rabbit Hole, a new series in which Mark Allen and I uh, follow our personal fascinations and our personal theories down the rabbit hole uh, for your delectation and entertainment. You might find it interesting. You may not. Um, but it's there. We do. We do. Um, so if you want to know more about how you can get involved in this, go to patreon.com, word in your ear. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.